Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is great to be with y'all. My name is Robert, Ministry Associate with Ministry to State, and here with me, my good friend and colleague, Will, also Ministry Associate with Ministry to State. Ministry to State is a ministry of the PCA that ministers to those serving in government. Uh, We're trying to keep on this train of reminding uh, people what Ministry of State does and who supports this podcast. So Will did a great job of remembering that last week. So I wanted to do it this week. Will, how are you doing on this uh, kind of cold and wet and rainy day? Yeah. You know, as I was, we were praying earlier, I told God, thank you for the, uh, for the warm weather on Monday as a way to kind of nudge him a little bit, maybe remind him that these people really do love the warm weather. We're grateful for him. You know, he, he, he sends the rain and the sun. Absolutely. But we sure do love that warm spring and uh, weather. So looking forward to it, but all, all in all, I'm doing well. I had breakfast with uh, Chuck this morning, had a couple appointments um, today. So things are moving along. Um, you know, something we haven't done in a while, I know it wasn't planned, but we haven't talked about what we're reading, um, what books we're, yeah. we're working on and working through. But I did see, to bring back to a topic we've discussed before, that uh, MLB has made another controversial uh, decision ag- against fans. Well, yes. you, you know more about than I do, but what was it exactly? Well, so... The Friday night double headers are now exclusively streamed on Apple TV. So now you have to pay an extra five bucks a month to watch baseball games. I mean, you really have to wonder, like, is there a professional sports league that hates their fans more than the MLB? And I don't think there is. Doesn't sound like it. I mean, uh, I created that. I created a meme on Twitter because one of my buddies tweeted about it, and it's that meme of that you know the the guy that's drowning the hand oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. water, and it's like baseball fans, and it was like the MLB, and then the high five is pay five bucks to watch our games, and the guy just keeps drowning because it's basically what the MLB is doing to us. Yeah, well done. Not only is a lockout enough, but you add a couple five dollars <laughs> a month for the. Uh, but hey, in other news, you know, well, they uh, also agreed to. They also agreed to new. One second. They also did agree to new rule changes, which included things like pitch count, bigger bases. Um, I don't. My friend told me that that uh, uh, is a uh, move to create less injuries, but I don't. I don't really know how that works. But yeah, so baseball is going to look a lot different. I, I think if they want to keep down this track, we should make it really gimmicky. I think like every fifth batter gets to use an aluminum bat. Like, let's just go, if we, if we're just trying to catch the eyes of kids, let's just go full gimmick, like backyard baseball style. I actually really like that. I think that, I think you'd kill people. I think you, you would absolutely have people die with those bats, but it would be interesting. Uh, wait, so what, what's the pitch count rule? No, uh, sorry. A pitch, like a um, pitch clock. Like oh. they're going to try to speed up games. Cause um uh, except again, here, the problem is, you know, it doesn't matter if the game's two hours or three and a half hours. If first pitch is at eight ten on a weeknight, good luck trying to, on, you know, good luck trying to develop a fan base that has to go to school the next day. But that's just, that's just my personal opinion. Maybe one day the MLB will hire me to be a consultant. If not, uh, so, so be it. That, and 
most of the time what I'm seeing, it's not the pitchers that are the real ones delaying. It's the batters that take forever that spend so much time getting ready before getting the box and, and kind of hot dog around the, the batter's box. And it's like, Hey, get it together here. You know, act like you're at work a little bit. Don't just be showing off the whole time. What if every time I, I offered a take on this podcast, you had to give me like five uh, minutes to like redo my mic, tape up my gloves, put my hat the right way. You know, that's kind of what it's like watching. Baseball. It probably wouldn't be called the Will and Rob show anymore. I think that there might be a new co-host here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to threaten. I really don't want to threaten, but I think we might be parting ways very much. Simon and Garfunkel. I'll just say, what's the podcast version of beaning a batter in the box? Cause that's probably what would happen. It's very hard to say. It would be easier in studio. Of course, uh, that's what was going on, but it's not so. But uh, also, you know, price of gas is exciting for for uh, for us. Um, <laughs> Great word choice. Yeah, uh, I paid. It would have cost me seventy bucks to fill up my little Honda Accord. Um, oh my gosh! Because of the prices on Capitol Hill, and I got one of the more affordable uh, gas prices. I, it wasn't the insane expensive one at second in Massachusetts. So, yeah. Anyways, that's discouraging. I my favorite. No, what I was going to say is I, I, I think we need to be um, thinking and praying for people whose money is already tight and who are going to experience greater and greater uh, financial strains because of this. And I was also wondering like, um, if crime rates in places like urban areas in D.C. are going to go up because um, you, uh, it's very hard to steal gas. It's a lot easier to steal groceries and diapers and other things like that. People who are extremely strained on income and finances uh they're gonna need gas to get around and they're gonna have to choose something that they can't afford to still consume and so how are they going to get those goods and i'm i mean the concern is that it's just going to lead to more crime out of just desperation and um not excusing crime i'm not saying that it's ever like justified or okay but only that there are situations that occur where people feel desperate and do things. And so it's, it's just been a thought that's been crossing my mind um, in the city. Well, yeah. Think about all the looting that we saw uh, this past year on um, people just like walking into stores and walking out with, you know, tied pods and everything like that. I mean, laundry detergent, I think you could probably see similar stuff happen with, with other goods. Um yeah, man, it's insane out here too. Even outside the city, gas prices are going up really fast. Um, my favorite uh, picture is someone put their gas prices next to uh, an image from that Will Smith movie, I Am Legend. And they were like, gas is officially more expensive than what they predicted it would be during a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and so, <laughs> at least in some parts in this country. So is that right? it's just... Yeah, it's like above, it's like 650 or something like that, a gallon in some places. That's terrible. Um, so I saw one of our favorite tweeters, Derek Rishmawi, uh, say that, you know, parents are going to really start protesting with when the parents who have toddlers that only nap when the car is driving unable to afford <laughs> that anymore because of the gas prices. You're going to have some really desperate parents at that point. Yep. I've been there. I know exactly what that's like. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's tough. Um, but yeah, so obviously we, uh, we could sit here and lament about gas prices, uh, all episode, but that wouldn't be as exciting for you guys. Um, what we did want to talk about though, is, um, 
uh, Will brought this up to, uh, the other day in one of our texts and uh, in a phone call and actually, and um, the, the ways that we sort of um, uh, not pit the two against each other, but lean on one over the other as it applies to our ethics. And that is uh, uh, thinking of ethics in a sort of a crucible form in, uh, in, in light of the cross uh, or uh, ethics in light of, of the resurrection and glory. At least I, that's, that's how I'm trying to frame it. Will, you can, ch- you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, but it, it, you saw how it was leading to some pretty interesting uh, implications and in what we're seeing in sort of broader evangelicalism, but also um, in matters of things like social justice. And so uh, I thought this was a really interesting conversation and something I wanted to flesh out more on the, on the podcast. I think people would will recognize uh, as we dive into it. So I want to kind of tee this up first and we'll give you a chance to sort of give us the theology behind it. Uh, and I know a lot of this comes out of what you've been reading from Stott. So I kind of wanted to just throw it over to you, uh, kind of explain what you what you were getting at and what you're kind of seeing about this sort of, you know, uh, theology of the cross versus sort of theology of glory. Yeah, I guess one of the mistakes that, happens when we look at the theology of the resurrection is we can um, expect a resurrection world in a uh, in a wall in a world that is still experiencing the fall and i think that can drive a lot of our uh, um, public ethical decisions and i think that um, you know theology of the cross and theology of glory is not the same thing as theology of the cross and theology of the resurrection um theology of the resurrection still belongs with the theology of the cross. The cross is that great center point that holds it all together. It is, it is the great moment where God is most glorified through Christ on the cross, which is, which is crazy talk because you would think that he would have chosen the resurrection to, to do that. That is where God vindicated his righteousness is um, at the resurrection. But the cross is the high point of the son of man being lifted up in glory. And so I think, you know, there, there is this tension, I think, when we want to talk about um, uh, ethics or social issues where we can, um, you know, when we focus on one or the other uh, or one without the other, we end up having very, very different expectations where, um focusing on the cross without the resurrection or the resurrection of the cross puts us in two very different um, places. Uh, and, and I guess what I was just thinking is that they, they need to be held together. Um, and I think that, I mean, I, I know this is in my own life is that I think I've done a lot to ostensibly forget about the cross a lot and focus more on the resurrection and think a lot more about what Christians are called to do in light of, the resurrection instead of in light of the cross and what Christ has done for us on our behalf. Um, and I think that if we focus just on the resurrection, I think what can happen is we can put ourselves on the cross in place because we recognize the need for atonement, for forgiveness. Uh, and so we recognize that Christ is risen, um, but we can forget also that Christ was crucified in order for him to be in a place where he could be resurrected. Uh, I think that's broad overstrokes, uh, like I said, very, very broad, not super specific, but 
Um, I think when, when we, when we approach the problem of evil, um, which I think is a lot of what, what our social justice issues are concerned with is evil. Um, we have to emphasize the cross and what the cross does to answer that evil first and foremost, and then we can, um, decide what to do. But, uh, I think a lot of times we focus on the resurrection, the new heavens and new earth, where we're going. And then from that, try to import the new heavens and the new earth here and now, um, which I think can, can lead to some disenchantment ultimately uh, because of our inability to fully do that. Yeah. I, you know, something that comes to mind is um how it often implicitly gets talked about is that, okay, on the cross, Christ atoned for my sins. And in light of the resurrection, I'm now called to live uh, in light of that resurrection. And the sort of the lingering effects of the fall are sort of relegated to those things outside of the church or outside of my own experience. So like, Yes, we still need, we still have the, the not yet, but that the not yet part is like the racism out there or the, um, the uh, greed out there or the celebrity power dynamics out there. And we don't really consider the fact that there's still a not yet part of our own lives as we continue to die to self um, and, and go to spiritual battle uh over the the lingering sin in our own hearts um and i think our own experiences with sin in light of the resurrection in light of genuine faith in christ creates this sort of dissonance where we feel like we're we're preaching out of both sides of our mouths because we so desperately want what you're saying like the theology of the theology of the resurrection to sort of you know happen but we sort of have to constantly deal with this fact that we're still wrestling with our own sin. We're not perfect yet. Um, and I wonder if that creates tension uh, in this, in this conversation, because um, we so desperately want to like live in light of the, of the resurrection and tackle all of these really big social issues, but we we've yet to really address the most basic primal parts of ourselves, which are, which is our own sin that we're very familiar with. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And, um, you know, I have here on my desk, I have resurrection and moral order by Oliver Donovan, whose title implies the, the, the basis for Christian ethics is the resurrection. And then you also, I also have Fleming Rutledge's the crucifixion, understanding the death of Christ. And so you get two books here that are both about Jesus, but one is about the resurrection and one is about the crucifixion. And, um, you know, when it comes to this idea of already not yet, it is so helpful to remember that uh, as much as that happens out there in creation, it also happens in here uh, in my own heart, like you're saying, and with the own evil that is still residing and the need for greater and greater sanctification, greater and greater emphasis on becoming holier. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as I was thinking, um, one of the in, in life, I think a lot of times uh, it is a lot safer and nicer to point out the public sins that are there. And that can be, that can be uh, homosexuality or abortion. 
uh, uh, you know, gay marriage or abortion that can be, um, uh, pick your, pick your issue, whatever you want. Um, and it's easy to condemn that. And it's much more dangerous to repent and confess of my own idolatry of, uh, my own self-love and, um, this, this a proper theology, remembering the place of the cross first reminds us that because of Christ's death on the cross, we are in need of, um, dying to ourselves more and in need of experiencing more and more of what he had taken up and, and, and won over for us on the cross. Uh, that is, that's the starting point. Um, and I think in this also is the question, you know, I think about this in terms of ethics and ethical living, uh, sanctified living is the question of imitation. And so um, this is a deep thought that runs way back in the Old Testament. So you have God commanding the people of Israel to be holy as he is holy. You have Jesus saying, if you love me, you will do what I command you. You have Paul saying, um, uh, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And you have Peter again saying, uh, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. And so there is this real call for us to be imitators of Christ. And I think a question as we consider this resurrection and crucifixion is which one do we imitate? Uh, and, um, they're the same Jesus, of course, they're the same Christ, of course, um, at different stages in their ministry. And I don't know if I have any answers at this point, and I'm fumbling here on this episode trying to really think through it, but there is there, there is a real tension that I feel of, um, okay, there is the cross, there's Christ on the cross, there's suffering, there is vindication, there is glory, there is, well, there's glory in both. So, um, but then there is the, the new man, the first fruits of new creation there in front of us. And uh I am not the first fruits, certainly, and I am also not atoning even for my own sins. Um, and so how do I know um, what part of Christ to imitate when? Uh, can it always be both? I mean, I don't know how. Uh, where, where, is it a wisdom question? Um, you, could, you, could, you could put the same situation for a number of people and, you know, say, imitate the cross, imitate. Um, I mean, I guess that'd be an interesting point in church history actually to look at is, is there, we're told to imitate, be, take, be cruciform. Uh, is there ever a resurrection form that we're supposed to take? I don't know if that's actually the case. Um, so we, we could look at what, what church saints have, have said. Yeah, that's a, man, that is a really, really, <laughs> Uh, deep and hard question to answer because I think you're right. I mean, you know, on the one hand, living in light of Christ's resurrection means that there has been real spiritual transformation. Um, there has been a real reconciliation that's happened. Um, so we can't sort of be right uh, constantly pessimistic and dour about our own opportunity to imitate Christ uh, in his glory and to, to obey and to do so out of gratitude for what the Lord has done, not out of right, you know, works righteousness, but, you know, the real desire to want to see um, the kingdom expanded. I think though, that we have to just constantly 
you know, you, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, like it's not us on the cross and it's also not us like resurrected. I mean, that that's Christ. We're, we're still waiting for um, the, the consummation for the final resurrection when we will be given our, our glorified bodies. That's uh, mm. not, it's not yet. And so I think wisdom is really living in light of this tension and understanding what our limits are um, and what we can do and what we can't do. I think uh, we have to be, you know, when it comes to issues of like, let's say justice issues, you know, I, I, I think I lean more towards a stance of humility and saying like, what, what can we expect to be able to accomplish in light of these two things? I mean, um, can we, are, is the church really prepared to sort of step up and do a large social welfare program, um, organize it, lead it, manage it? Um, or is this something we do in a much more sort of humble local context in the situations that the Lord presents to us um, in the very limited and sort of menial ways that we can? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm just kind of sp- speaking out loud. Um, but it just seems to me that even in, with our best intentions, our sinful self that we still wrestle with um, uh, can distort, yeah, our, our best intentions into things that we would have no, that would have no r- recognition in, in the new kingdoms and the new earth, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, when I think about our best intentions, it's, well, Paul says, I, I have an answer to whose intentions they are. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so in that verse is, is both the crucifixion and the resurrection is both the death of Christ and the life of Christ, the death of me, the death of Christ and the life of Christ. And what's interesting is that, um, He doesn't say, he says, you know, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives. He doesn't say, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, and I who live with, but I who live with Christ. It is, no, it is, it is that he is, uh, he is dead. He doesn't recognize an existence apart from, from Jesus. And so even then I wonder, how does that, how does that take place? How does that actually work itself out? Um in practice, in, in life. Um, mm. How do we constantly put things to death, but also is, is the, is the putting things to death, the other side of the coin that is bringing things to life? Is that the, is that what the cruciform is? You know, is the, mm. is the resurrection, the side of holiness and the crucifixion is the side of death. And they're just to, you know, I, I'm asking these questions and I'm a little embarrassed. Cause I'm like, these maybe seem like seminary one-on-one questions that, uh, should be a little clearer to me right now that maybe I'm wrestling through in a way that I've forgotten, but um, so. so No, I think this is really important because I think, man, we are so uh, pressed in on all sides. I think of, of, of parties and camps that want simple answers to a lot of these questions. I mean, I think on the one hand, you have a lot of people saying, well, you're, you know, because there's still lingering sin, don't do anything. Like there's, you, there's no, you, you don't have any hope. Um, 
don't be involved in these things, a sort of complete removal from society or removal from these, these things because um, a fear of tainting them or, or ruining them and a sort of, pa- a sort of cultural and social pacifism. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have a, a sort of almost revolutionary, some might call like um, uh, uh, Jacobin sort of post-millennialism. It's like, we got to tear down all these structures and replace them with, with structures of glory and, and of, of light of the resurrection. And we can do all this stuff because of what Christ has done. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of see Paul confronting both sides in scripture, um, of course, of correcting both, both positions. And that's not an advocate. That's not to advocate for some sort of watered down middle way. I think it's more a call to humility and wisdom um, in light of our own experiences. I mean, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just very familiar with my own sin and I know what I wrestle with. And because of that, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to think extra hard about engaging in some of these things because I just know, I just know the power of my own sin. Well, not to, not to totally correct you on air, but you don't. Um, That's the terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Well said. Part. And I think this is where something that um, our, our leader, Chuck has pointed out and that we've talked about before is the difference between talking about ourselves as broken and talking about ourselves as rebellious. Um, Mm. You know, you don't have to kill something that's broken. You do have to put to death something that's rebellious. And, um, and so I, I think there is an importance here of remembering which one sin is. Uh, are we broken? Are there, is there, is there brokenness in us? Yes, there is. That's, that does not exclude its reality, but it's much worse than that. Our state, our needing to be, to live cruciform, our need to die to self and live to Christ is much worse than just simple um, brokenness it is, it is brokenness and active rebellion. Um, and that's not a message that resonates very well in 2022 North America at all. It, 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 but it's funny enough, like neither does the cross really, uh, neither these two rebellion or the cross, they do not resonate very well deeply, um, when we hold them together. Um, also the cross to me, at least in my mind, it changes its meaning when I recognize that it was my rebellion that was nailed to the cross with Christ. Not my, I mean, my brokenness is repaired by Christ, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know how you categorize this, but mm. maybe like, you know, brokenness is fixed in the resurrection. The rebellion is put to death in the cruise, whatever. But, you know, um, when we're honest about that, the cross becomes a lot more painful to look at. Uh, it becomes mm. a lot more heartbreaking um, to recognize what's up there is that it's my yeah. obstinance, my fighting, my no thanks. Mm. Yeah, man, that's a good word. Well, in that case, okay, let's let's bring this down really practical before we we sign off here. Um, obviously, we work in the arena of politics. We're working with with people who have given their lives, at least their careers, um, to fixing 
broken things in our political system, in our society, in our culture. Um, Christians, obviously, per our confession, believe, we believe can be participate in that system of politics um, and be faithful. Uh, the question then, I think someone who's listening is saying, well, what I'm hearing is a sort of damned if I do, damned if I don't. Uh, am I, should I be paralyzed with fear and not do anything? What would, will you, you know, you, uh, uh, your career, your ministry is ministering to those serving government. What, what do you say to someone in light of, of this conversation today? How should they approach their work? Is that the question yeah, that you're asking? Like, How should they uh, go you know, about? Yeah. Well, um, there was a, there was a, an author that um, spoke at a faith and law event recently. And I have one of his books here. His name is I think Robert Tracy McKenzie is his name. And he spoke about sin and the founding fathers. And um, uh, I wasn't able to listen to it, but I think it's an interesting concept to recognize that in our country, in our system of government, there was an acknowledgement that humans are sinful. Um, There may have been an enlightenment idea that viewed human potential way more high than it ought to, but there was also equally a great understanding that man is sinful in the way that scripture depicts him as sinful. And so I think this is where um, you got brilliant men who are putting together a, a constitution um, who are putting together a system of government uh, with, with practices and, and protections in place for these kind of people, uh, sinful, uh, rebellious people. And so I think in one sense, knowing that scripture has answers for the things that you're facing in the workplace as in, as in scripture, uh, will give you a great, great lesson in human psychology, human sinfulness, when you go about your work. Um, second is that I think that, you know, we can put way too much on our jobs to think that our jobs are meant to be the bringing about of the new heavens and new earth. But again, if you look at an honest assessment of the system of government, that was put, that was not perfect. Of course, there are flaws and failures and sins that were involved in that. Yes. Uh, but there was also an implied limitation to say, we know we can't do everything with this system of government. We know that we cannot bring about heaven on earth here. And so maybe just lift that pressure a little bit that, that the call and the job is not to make the new heavens and new earth, that that is being built and brought by Christ. We participate in that, but that's by the Holy spirit, not by anything that we do. So those are two things that I think I would encourage people. And then also just don't underestimate your witness of living faithfully in the workplace to those around you. Um, You know, I'm interested to think that systems we describe as broken. Do we describe systems as rebellious? I don't know. I mean, humans are rebellious against God, are systems rebellious against their makers? I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like systems are responsive to the people who make them, how they make them. So, you know, I, I think what that does is while we can put so much weight on systems being equally as evil as people, I don't know if that's supported when you consider the fact of they might be broken, they might be corrupted. Um, but in terms of rebellious, I don't know if the same language would be fitting to be using of systems in that way, which, which then changes how you set about working on it. Uh, you know, you put limitations, you put expectations, you put parameters, um, and then you recognize also just the, the, the power there is in being salt and light and loving your neighbor and being um, seeking to live righteously, um, seeking to um, yeah, to imitate the cross and live in the hope of the resurrection. Yeah. I like that. The, uh, the call not to bring about the 
new kingdoms and the new earth, but to be faithful. And um, yeah, I, when I think about my own life, I, I can't usher in the new kingdom, um, but I can, I can pray and I can study the word and I can be part of the church and I can hopefully grow in faithfulness. And that, that seems to me to be reasonable. <laughs> that seems to me to be um, managed, not manageable. That's the wrong word, but it seems to me doable. And uh, I think that's, that's a good word. Um, well, we'll table this for now. I'm sure we'll return to it eventually. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler. Will's at Stockdale Will. Make sure to check out ministrystate.org. And uh, make sure also to subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends and family and colleagues. And with that, we'll see you guys again next week.